Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 240 on Tuesday, the 5th of March, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And on this week's show, we'll be talking about Gone's version of the Hokey Cokey. Also, we discuss limitations that won't really affect most of us. And we explain why we both stood in a factory. But first... But first, this week's show is mostly Geneva-free, although we're recording on the end of the first press day when everything has been unveiled everywhere. Um, that stuff's just going to have to wait, I'm afraid. Yes, we are sorting content to do with that. Don't you worry, though. You will, you will yep. enjoy. Right, let's get on with the follow-up, and only one piece this week, and that is that Carlos Ghosn has actually had bail application approved. Now, his new legal team were confident that it would happen because they were um, being quite aggressive in their comments about the Japanese legal system. Yes, they were. Uh, But they have put forward even tighter conditions than were previously given. So he will have a camera system installed, so he is under surveillance all the time. He is not allowed to speak to people outside of the case and he has to give up a bail of 1 billion yen, which is about $8.9 million. Yes, but that's still not enough. No, with his left leg out, his right leg <laughs> is most certainly in, because the prosecu- the Tokyo District Prosecution <laughs> Office has appealed this decision and demanded... <laughs> Sorry, Alan's just... Can't believe I don't know I've whether been... it's on about the hokey cokey or playing Twister or what, but that's the weirdest version of the hokey cokey I've ever heard. <laughs> but they, uh, the prosecution office, uh, prosecutor's office, sorry, is not happy at all, and they they still feel he is a risk if he gets out, and they still are worried that there may be issues with evidence and of the overall one, which they feel is a flight risk, but. Where's well, I suppose there are countries out there that don't have extradition deals with Japan, but even so, he was also he was also offered offered to be made president of Lebanon at one point. So yes, they may well still be and has citizenship, so it, that's possibly a, a tricky one. Yeah. So. There we go. So we'll have to watch that one with an eagle eye to see how that develops. But I would imagine we'll hear pretty quickly on the appeal side of things. Because one way or another, mm. everybody will want to know what's going on. You know, whether you're going or you're the prosecutors, you want an answer f- fairly sharpish on this. Yeah, exactly. But new news, Alan. Yes, new news. And it is the first week of the month. And so it is time to queue up the sign of the swinging symbol and prepare yourself for the February registration figures. The market is stable. Give or take. So it's actually an increase of 1.4%, which I still class as a rounding error. Diesel down 14.3%, petrol up 8%, and alternative fuels up 34% on last year. Numbers, the total number of vehicles registered for 2019 was 81,969 compared to 80,805 last year. What else? Fleets down 1.3%, private up 4.3%, and business is down, to, is up even 23.4%. Gosh, up is the ones without the minus sign. Mm. 
year to date, it's actually down 0.6% on last year, so pretty much exactly the same point as it really this time last year. Yep. Uh, top 10. Mm-hmm. Top 10 goes like this. The number 10, the Volkswagen Tiguan. At 1,258. That's a new entry there. Uh, number nine, the Ford Echo Sport. I believe it's pronounced uh, with 1,292. Eighth, Vauxhall Corsa. Seventh, the Ford Cougar. Sixth, the Nissan Qashqai. Fifth, the Volkswagen Polo with 1,512. So it's all pretty squashed up there. There's a jump of about 500 and something to the Mercedes-Benz A-Class of fourth. The Volkswagen Golf. Third is at 2,400. A little bit behind the Ford Focus at 2,537. With, naturally enough, the Ford Fiesta in the first place with 3,399 registered. Mm. Year to date, it goes Fiesta, Focus, and Golf. The Fiesta being just under 2,000 sales ahead of the Ford Focus at this point. Yep. The Spreadsheet of Doom... And I think I'll start at at the top, which is in the doomy colour. And then we'll move down and come back up with the more positive side of things. Yes, it's a bit of a mix. You can't group and say positives of this and negatives of that. No, it's it is no, quite it is quite split. And as are the new rules that it needs to be a drop or gain of more than fifteen percent before I'll include it because sometimes that yeah. makes it a little heavy on the negative. <laughs> At the moment. So Abarth is down 25.5%. Alfa Romeo is down 38 With 105 and 109 respectively, by the way. Yes. It's very low numbers in February always. Audi is a bit more of a drop at uh, just under 17%, which um, is from 6,100 down to 5,100. Um, DS continues their nosedive. Fiat, quite a drop of nearly 27% from 1,300 down to 955. Infinity continued their nosedive, 73%. Maserati, 24%. McLaren, it's obviously not a batch month, 28% down. Well, it's that. Remember, everyone, by the way, that February is, is of course, a short month, and it's the month before the registration change as well. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, it is the quietest month of the, of the uh, new car registration year. Hmm. Uh, Porsche down uh, 50, nearly 51% from 421 down to uh, 204. Uh, I presume that's still WLTP knock-on that they haven't been able to get all the myriad of variations through testing. Yeah. Uh, Smart continues to drop, this time 24%. Um, not massive numbers, but 24%. And then that leaves us to go back up the chart, Alan, with the positives. Mm-hmm. Yep, with the positives. So Volvo, 48%. That's a hell of a jump. It is, it is. Well, it's, it, it sounds like a hell of a lot. And then you realise that it's uh, 1,705 compared to 1,150 uh, last year. A Suzuki, 77% up. Subaru up 19.35%. Renault. Is the Suzuki the Jimny effect, do you think? I don't know. That's uh, I don't think it's 1,200 Jimnys all in one go. 1,200 Jimnys is quite a lot. That would have seen it on the top 10 registration board this this month. So it wasn't all Jimny. Okay. I imagine it's got a fair old 
something to do with it. But yeah. yeah. Uh, so where was I? Subaru, 19%, I think I said. Renault, 46.46%. And the new Clio's only just been released and unveiled today. Mm. Uh, Mitsubishi, 34.7%. MG 140% because they're MG. Congratulations on the most ridiculous percentage change this month. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Mazda 26%, Lexus 45%, and Jaguar 34%. Hmm. wonder what the Jag one is. I think that's probably just things getting registered, to be honest. Okay. Congratulations to Chevrolet, though. Oh. <laughs> I only say that every minute because it annoys Alan. <laughs> no, they've got. Oh, they are there. Oh, up a hundred percent. I didn't even notice that. I blocked it. <laughs> you mentally shut it down. <laughs> yes. So, considering the the current the current climate, both no. climate and political and emotional and everything. To be relatively stable, I think it's a pretty good job. I think so too, to be honest. Remember that, was it you saying at the start of this year, this is the first year we should get most of the way through without a a glitch anyway? Yeah, this should be. Uh, With the exception of when they changed, was it October, when they changed the the government grant for hybrids and EVs and stuff? Yeah, yeah. We were talking before on new registrations and everything. One thing I did see is the dealer satisfaction survey was returned. All right. And BMW have plummeted in that list. And one of the reasons given by an unnamed, and this is an unnamed source, was BMW's drive for registrations hurts their profits. It sounded to me like they're being pushed to register cars and that hurts the dealer's profits. Right. Oh, okay. And they didn't. They didn't like that. Funnily enough, if you're not putting no. money in people's pockets, they tend to get a bit miffed if their job is to make a profit. Oh, so it's the dealer satisfaction and the satisfaction of the dealers. It's the it's the dealer oh. satisfaction of manufacturers. It's the auto trade auto trades own survey of their own members. Fair Sorry. enough. I thought you were. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was how satisfied were people with the dealers. Oh, no, it's not like uh, the dealer satisfaction from the public. No, 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 it's not that. Sorry. Sorry. Because I was about to then go into my will. Quite a lot of that's all about perception, really, isn't it? Which is not really relevant in this case. I just just happened to see that going through. But uh, there we are. Right. More news. Now, Mm -hmm. in a move by Volvo, which... I must congratulate them. I, I I say that their PR is on point in the last couple of years. I may not agree with it, but it is definitely on point. <laughs> they announced this week that they are going to limit the top speed of their cars to 112 miles an hour or 180 kpm, I think it is. 180 kilometers per hour, yeah. KPH, not kpm, KPH, yeah, it's 180. In starting in 2020, and this is because speed is a major problem for accidents and fatalities. Right, the gloss over the whole fascination with speed. Now, last week we talked about mm-hmm. mandatory limiters being fitted to cars, and the way that that article was written was that the speed limiters that are going to be mandatory 
will be limited to the speed of the roads. And we said that that was dangerous and we thought that was foolish. However, if you are limiting the top speed to 112 mile an hour, that I have no issues with. No. No, I don't have I don't really I don't have an issue with this either. No. I wouldn't have an issue if it was 100 mile an hour. No, well neither do, no, no, neither would I. Because and for all the people that jumped up and down and got all stroppy, how many of them actually use the autobahn? <laughs> yeah, well that's it. It's such a small proportion of people, isn't it? It's the only time I can think of, and, and to be honest, the amount of time that you that you spend on an autobahn over a hundred over a hundred miles an hour is is negligible, really. As as and even then, I don't feel I'm necessarily a good enough driver to be doing that. Well, no, exactly. Uh, and that was one of the things that I spotted was someone saying, you know, if you're if you're on about this and you think that that, that Volvo shouldn't be limiting these cars, but then you're not saying. But at the same time, you're not saying, well, there needs to be much better driver education. There needs, needs to be much better, you know, uh, vehicle checks to make sure the vehicles uh, should be capable of doing it, then of doing whatever speed they want. Then, you know, you're, it starts to sound a bit like the American gun lobby mm. uh, with the similar kinds of kinds of arguments. Yep. So I, I have no counter argument to this at all. Um, well, I mean, it still doesn't stop the speed it takes for you to get, you know, how quickly you can get from zero to 112 miles an hour. Yeah, and to absolutely. be honest, for me, that's, that's half a sensation anyway. And, you know, and your ability to just keep on driving well and properly. It also has a big, makes a big difference whenever you move towards electrification, of course, because I imagine when you're at that speed, then the, the sort of the amount of drag uh, and the loads that are being put on the vehicle then are, are really incredibly high. And, of course, that uses up the battery significantly faster and within a, a much shorter range than if you if it wasn't, if you weren't going at that speed. Yeah. We, I've talked many times about the almost obsession that speed is the issue just because that's, a, that's an easy one to quantify as opposed to stupidity and mm-hmm. ignorance and lack of driver training. That they yeah. they don't fit as neatly, but I got to congratulate Volvo once again. They've, they've pulled a blinder because everybody's talked about it and everybody's mentioned them, and they appear to be trying to reclaim the safety mantra they used to have. Yes, which is an interesting tactic because it's worked for them in the past, and I, I have no problems as long as things are safe. I have no problems with that. Yeah, ditto. Okay, well, for the next item, we have to pass on to the Motoring Podcast's haulage and heavy goods vehicle correspondent. So, Alan. Hello there from behind the steering wheel. Breaker, breaker. Or something. Breaker, yes. (laughs) So London is bringing in a new standard for HGVs uh, around truck visibility. It's It's called a direct vision. And the idea is that it's to tackle the truck visibility crisis. Uh, as it's highlighted in this motoring research article here. That's a cracking photograph they've got, by the way, to demonstrate you know a lorry's blind spot. <laughs> no, it, no, you see, it's actually, it is It is a very nice photograph of a Volvo FH, not an FH16, probably an FH12, with a Globetrotter cab on it, uh, and a Koenigsegg Agera. The trouble is that the vehicle that they have chosen to to do this with has every single safety safety system on it as standard. 
So uh, those Volvo trucks, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to mention that and then went off and looked it up whilst I was having my dinner earlier. They have uh, automatic brake, emergency braking. They have lane keeping assist. They have lane departure warning. They have blind spot warning zones uh, and will do automatic braking if they sense that there is something like a, a cyclist on the inside uh, of the cab there. So in actual fact, what they chose was pretty much the safest truck on the road. Ah, but the direct vision standard, though, is what the driver can see without mirrors and any cameras, isn't it? It says in this article, the vehicles will be judged with a rating between 0 and 5 for how much the operator can see directly out of the vehicle without relying on mirrors and cameras. Oh, right, without relying on mirrors and cameras. So (sighs) if you're a lorry and you're not allowed to use your mirror... How, he, yeah. how Who can see 40 foot behind them? So what it's looking at here, when you get to that bit, nobody can see 40 foot behind them. This is another one of these London ones, isn't it? Because now that I, I hadn't noticed that. It's, I remember seeing pictures of, of cab doors with glass in them so they could see directly below themselves. So if there's like the cyclist at lights type thing and... Yeah, there's the other way of uh, solving that is also with the very low cabs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. No. So it's a bit like bin lorries. You know how the Dennis Vulture yeah, yeah. used to have that kind of cab on the front? But you also get them from Scania and Mercedes, the Iconic, I think, have very these very low cabs for much better visibility. So the driver is more sitting more at sort of transit van height and has a better view out there. That it's completely doing it without the the mirrors and cameras is is almost impossible for most trucks. Well, you see in the in the paragraph below how many vehicles they reckon they're going to be off the road when it comes into the uh, banning them for not hitting stars from October twenty twenty. Quite possibly, yeah. Well, they're saying thirty five thousand of the one hundred and eighty eight thousand HGVs in London, and then four years later, it's got to be three star and above. Out three out of five stars, by the way, if you don't if you don't read the article, but the link will be in the show notes for you to peruse. But then you saying about no look, you've just said about well, there's got to be cameras, and then down the bottom it goes the above safety rating safety permit can be earned via a variety of measures to improve driver visibility and therefore pedestrian safety. More comprehensive mirrors, a battery of cameras with screens, and warning chimes for pedestrians are on a list of utilities that can be retrofitted in order to improve an HGV's safety rating. Well, then how that definitely involves. Cameras and sensors. I don't understand how they're judging it without cameras. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, uh, sounds like a TFL special. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? So, because I was taking this, I I read this article and thought, all right, that's just like the Crossrail stuff, where, as I say, all the construction vehicles have to have have to have the, this vehicle is reversing, not just that this vehicle is reversing, but this vehicle is turning left. This vehicle is turning left type indications. Uh, If anybody wants to use me as voiceovers for any of their safety systems, do just ask. Yes, if you want disinterested and sarcasm, we are happy to help. (laughs) Come on, you're more likely to listen to that than than, than mechanical and... I was going to say mechanical and tedious, and that still doesn't doesn't rule me in. So there's lots of that kind of thing, plus all, all the all the interior systems uh, on vehicles that have been dealing with Crossrail for the last however many years. 
for the con- construction scheme there. Mm. So this, I believe, is mostly rolling that wider uh, across vehicles and not just on the construction. Okay. The principle is a good one. Yes, obviously, yes. safety of everybody else using the road, particularly as Transport for London is pushing for less cars and more walking and cycling and Mm, that's very helpful whenever you have 20 tons of things to deliver, though. That's a, that's a, a lot of cycles. Yes, I know, I know. But if they are not able to separate all the road users away from each other in a safe manner, then every yeah. bit will help, hopefully. It does. It, uh, Without being sarcastic and silly, yes, it does help. The downside being, of course, that it pushes all the older trucks out to elsewhere in the country. Yeah, well, those of us in the countryside, we don't matter. We can get run over. It doesn't matter. There'll be another one along soon enough. <laughs> yeah, as long as there are more people in people in London who can get stabbed, then that's just fine. <sighs> Not that that regularly happens in London, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on. Now, I'm going to take us on a little trip down Cause and Effect Avenue. Now, it's been reported... Thanks to Jato, who do a lot of uh, statistics on the European car industry, that amazingly, and to the shock of literally no one with a brain, the CO2 emissions have risen now we've demonized diesel. (laughs) Yep. And as I bite the back of my hand to prevent myself from having to then edit myself heavily... I just, it's so frustrating. It is so very, very frustrating when you see something like this because as we have talked about the entire time when we've mentioned diesel being picked on and people not not understanding that technology moves on, that there is, mm-hmm. if you have, if you do a knee-jerk reaction to a knee-jerk reaction you will have more problems of a different variety. And, you know, here we are. Here we are. That CO2 is now at the highest it's been for five years across 20 of 23 European markets. Only the Netherlands, Norway and Finland dropped. Yeah. Sorry. I don't even know what to say about that. It's, 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 a, it's a side effect of, of, you know, all I can say is well done, Volkswagen. That said, the popularity of SUVs as well uh, isn't really helping. So I'm not demonising SUVs, but they are, by their very nature, less aerodynamic uh, and therefore generally less efficient than an equivalent vehicle would be were it a an estate car or similar. Yep. And you can go, well, the coefficient of drag is less, but we all know that it's actually coefficient of drag multiplied by the area of a vehicle, which is more important. Yes, and if you've got a bigger area, it's always going to be less aerodynamic. Yes. Well, I, but, but you know what the immediate reaction is if that's pointed out? Look, because you've been shouting at diesels now, we're at this state that they go around, well, we shouldn't have cars anyway. And then it just becomes a farcical conversation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It just, it just goes nowhere after that. Right. Shall we move on to some advice concerning the ultra-low emission zone, Alan? Well, we've talked about this a few times, uh, about classic cars and the ultra-low emission zone in in London and the daily charge that's going to be introduced on the 8th of April this year. Well, classic and sports car has a really useful little 
nine-point guide uh, to what will be affected and won't, won't, what won't be affected and what the charges and any exceptions there might be. I don't want to read right the way through it, uh, but it is well worth it is well worth a a read yourselves. I, I don't know. This is almost a lunchtime browse if this is something that's relevant to you. Well, one of, one of the main points, though, is if your car is 40 years old, which will be a rolling 40 years, then you are exempt. Yes. So it's not actually completely exempt. You know, it's it's not hitting absolutely everyone. It's, it's modern classics that are going to be hit harder. But that's always always the case anyway. Yeah. I mean, I still can't believe that my 19-year-old Saab is fine yeah johnny the heiress is fine as well you do need to check you need to put your registration in and check and see whether you're caught in it there's also a really a good postcode checker in this list as well to see if where you're going is covered by it as well mm-hmm. so that was it that was a good spot alan that was a good spot yes it's an excellent article thank you classic and sports right mentioning a company we hardly ever do these days and this one's down against, and your name's against this, which scares me. I was A, surprised to see it, because I knew that I never read these stories. I know, well, that's why I added it. Well, I do, I sometimes add them, but we never talk about them even when I add them. <laughs> Last week, Tesla announced that it is going to cut prices of its cars. So, the cost of the Model S and the Model X is dropping down. Now, this, this is the reason I have brought up Tesla, because normally we don't bother particularly with a lot of the just clickbaity stuff that gets mentioned about them. Well, it's a bit like Geneva today. Everybody else talks about it, so I don't necessarily feel that we need to. Yeah, but in this instance, they've dropped their, the price of the S and the X, so they're not very far away from the iPace and the suggested prices of other upcoming premium electric vehicles which I think is a very interesting move from Tesla. Now, there's two ways to take that, obviously. There is the, if you are an Elonite, then it is this is a perfectly sensible thing. And it's to show people who didn't think they could possibly afford the wondrous future that it is there. But on the other hand, it possibly shows that the new competition coming in for Tesla has scared them a bit and they've gone, oh, crikey. They are undercutting us, so people will go to them instead of us. There's also the fact that there are many lists of um, there are many online lists of inventory that Tesla may have sitting around the world, and some of those numbers are quite large. Yes, has been mentioned as well. I think that should be mentioned in the interests of fairness. Yep, that is true. We, we are being studiously fair here. This this is very strange. I know. Well, if I'm going to mention them, I'll, I'll, I'll be fair and then hopefully not have to mention them again for a long while. So yeah. <laughs> the, they're also managing to, they've managed to work out how they can get the Model 3 at $35,000, which will be about £33,000 over here, allegedly. That's the, that's like the that. guess, uh, even though $35,000 isn't that, if you, well, not yet. In the, there are still many, many people in the US who are waiting, who are waiting for their thirty-five thousand dollar Model Three, and have been waiting for some considerable period of time. Yeah, the, to help allow this to happen, the price cut and uh, the thirty-five thousand dollar Model Threes, they're going to be cut, they're going to be shutting their dealerships 
and going online sales only. It's amazing. Who would have thought that all those pieces of prime real estate would be very, very expensive and might not necessarily give you a return on investment? Again, there's two ways to look at that. One is they've they've gone down a route and gone, well, this is really expensive and we can't justify it. And the other route mm. is, crikey, this is sucking up all our cash. We really need cash very, very quickly. <laughs> because I'm sure there was a loan deadline either last week or very close to now. Mm-hmm. So making moves of this sort may be helping to appease creditors. Yes. But there's there's no indication that'll happen in the UK and Ireland and Europe, though. This seems to be American-centric. It, it does. When it comes to the closures. It, it, uh, it does. And uh, they have published a list of the first stores for want of a better word that, that they're going to 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 close as well yep one thing i did see on the twitters today china has stopped all model threes from being passed out of uh, being sold and those that are on the road are to be taken off the road because they've apparently allegedly failed inspections really yes i don't know what inspections they are there is some ongoing d- um, discord between Tesla and the Chinese government, though, isn't there? Yes. So, uh, yes. Are Tesla not passing on all the information the Chinese government always demands off every OEM? This is possible, Because yes. Tesla is very much private with that info, and it shares it with nobody, no one, no how, unless it's a court order. Oh, gosh, do we have to give it up? Or the American safety and even then, it has been disputed whether or not they have actually done it. Yes. So there we are. So, and that's, that's the... Uh... The other one I've got, sorry. Yeah. I'm just going to get my little grape in here because I wasn't expecting this to be here. And I don't normally grumble too much about Tesla. But if you go and you... Because I went to look at the prices. So stuff like the Model S has been dropped by, is it like 50 grand? I've seen reports of 50 grand. I've seen reports of like 12. So, but I think you... Yeah, so either way, it's a significant amount of money. And the thing is, it does seem rather short-termist because if people are trying to sell a Tesla at the minute, a nearly new one, the price has just been trashed quite significantly. If you've just bought one... Well, that's it. How miffed are you going to be? I believe the good people at Electrek are quite miffed by this. Oh, bless them. A shame. Bless them. But the other one is, whenever you go to the web, to the website and you go and you look at, and it shows you the, the monthly price, the first price it shows you is not actually the monthly amount you'll pay. It shows you a much lower amount, which includes the saving over an internal combustion engine car, taking into account your fuel savings and many other things. But that's not, the, but which is the most obvious price on there. But it's not the actual price you'll pay. Oh, that's and I nice. I do wonder about the legality of doing that here in the UK. But on the other hand, I also wonder about the legality of these lease companies who who show prices plus VAT when they're very much aiming at a aiming at a consumer market rather than a business market. Yeah. So so it's quite possible that there is a loophole that allows that. But anyway, there we go. I just thought I'd have my, my not not a pop, but an observation. That is just a demonstration. No, but that is a demonstration of what you were saying before, the short-termism. It is like they are lurching from one 
uh, how can I put this nicely? And I'm trying to be nice. I really am trying to be nice. I hope everybody can see that. One set of ideas they've just had to the next set of ideas they're going to have without necessarily considering the impact of uh, I, it, the cumulative impact of these changes of idea. I think the impact on anyone else but themselves is not anything that is considered. I think that that's a very fair statement. I once read something about that that was used, but it included Montessori schools in the in the example, and it made me smirk. But yes. <laughs> anyway, that's about halfway, I think. It is. Well, give or take. Yeah, so it is time very quickly to get to that point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the Motoring Podcast and our efforts are worth to you if you feel that we deserve a small amount for your hard-earned cash, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button right there on the front page and on every single other page as well. And you'll be joining an increasing number of people doing that. You will. Yes, thank you to new patrons. Really, uh, really appreciated. And, and yes, it's, it's very very chuffed with, with the way that that's working out right at the moment. Uh, we understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, leave feedback via the podcast playing platform of your choice. If you've done all that, you are wonderful. Please do take a moment or two to accost a friend, possibly show them just how easy it is to uh, to subscribe to a podcast, much as I did uh, at the weekend, uh, and just go, look, you can do it just like this. If for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so, uh, making sure that it will then come straight to you without any any anxiety, worry, to know, feelings of existential loss that you may have. Uh, it will just drop there right into your, your mobile or desktop device. I think I've covered everything there. You have. I went a bit off-piste at the end and sort of slightly lost it, but there we go. No, but Okay, let's, let's go from that wondrous news that more people are coming to support us to the good news for Formula E if you are a British fan. Yeah, London E-Prix is coming back in summer of 2020. Yes! Quite. Exactly. And it will take place in a rather strange strange part of London. Uh, so previously it was in Battersea Park. That was great, but there were lots of people lived round about and used the park, and therefore and a very small number of them complained about noise and disruption and the fact that they couldn't they couldn't take little Jacob for a picnic on on a Saturday or a Sunday when it was being held. Uh, and so the London E-Prix was no more. There'd be mutters about Birmingham, loads of other places. So it's coming back and it's going to be around the uh, out in the Docklands, around the Royal Docks and in, literally for part of the track, uh, XL, the exhibition centre out there in the East End on the far side of Canary Wharf. It seems a really strange place to hold this. Why? But it actually makes a lot of sense. Why do you think it's a strange place? It's in the butt end of nowhere, relatively speaking. As far as London is concerned, two Londoners... Yeah, but the backdrop's not bad. The backdrop will be good. The backdrop will be... There's a bit of Millennium Dome you can see there. There's Canary Wharf. I mean, it's not exactly Paris and, you know, the Eiffel Tower and and all these kind of things. But there's still a, a certain amount of city in the background. It's very much like the holding in Brooklyn in New York, because like New York, of course, uh, in London, you just can't shut some of the roads mm. uh, like you can in many other capital cities around the world. They're just too busy, too big, too much happening. And you can't get them as smooth as you'd need them as well for a track. Well, no, this also is very, very true. What they've done is they're doing, well, what they are going to do is, is hold it out at Excel. 
and track and have the start finish straight inside in the south hall have the pits along the edge of the dock have the e-village in the north hall and have the the circuit goes through and round and up and down and it's actually real despite me saying it's at the bum end of london it is you know it's served by two dlr stations there's the airport is just along the dlr it is actually really relatively easy to get to it's incredibly well accessible accessed isn't it for public transport links it's by yeah by the standards of anywhere outside london anywhere in the uk outside london then yes it, it's very easy to get large numbers of people there and back, and they're very used to holding shows and exhibitions where they have to to, to fence off large amounts of outside and inside uh, as well. So it's I'm really pleased. It's going to be interesting. Do go to formula, FIAFormulaE.com uh, to find out more about it. But I'm just dead chuffed. Where would you on that on that track? Where would you be putting the attack mode? Oh, I don't know. I had a little look. Uh, hang on. I can I can see there's three corners I can think of. I think that they will put attack mode. Would you put attack mode inside? Do no, you think? I wouldn't put it inside. You know, you know the little uh, kink on the outside going up the side of the building. Yes, where it clears the steps and stuff. That yeah. little kink there, I might I'd be mm. uh, tempted there or on that big loop corner back just before you come towards the pit entry. So you think either they're on the extreme... Extreme left or extreme right. Extreme west yeah. for that first kick and extreme east uh, down at the other yeah. end there, uh, just where it comes around that roundabout. I think uh, so. Near the... I forgot which hotel it is that's over there. Yeah, near one of the hotels. Yeah, that's what I think. It does actually go right round a hotel. I see Jaguar are going to have a large stand inside, according to one of the one of the diagrams I saw as well. And all the e-village inside as well. So even though it's going to be during the summer, uh, they're still not completely trusting the, the, the British weather. Well, next year, all the teams that are participating, all the manufacturers participating with the teams, they'll have EVs out. So I am sure that we will have basically an EV motor show. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Fully Charged doesn't try and do something there at the same time. It would seem very sensible. I imagine they will do. I, I know that Robert Lowen's done stuff from there before and some stuff in the, the early, early days of, of the early days of both Fully Charged and of, um, and of Formula yeah. And uh, we're just ideas people. They can run with that. Yes, we'll, we'll give them that one. But what nearly got lost, though, what nearly got lost in all the news... Mercedes-Benz EQ Formula E team are showing a teaser livery. Sort of version of the Silver Arrows, but instead of it being the the Patronus Green uh, that you see on the Formula One team, there are hints of EQ blue glowiness uh, that you see on. I think it suits it very much. It looks very good. It's kind of dark grey with sort of black and sort of carbony pattern. down those kind of rear haunches, a couple of SAP logos, but never mind. It looks fast standing still. It looks fast standing still. My worry is that it's being shown against a light, very light background. And I worry that the darkness of the colours will get lost against the track whenever you start to see it in, in real situations and on TV and stuff. Mm. But it looks great. Yeah. Just as it sits, it looks great. Yeah, true. Which is nice. Looking forward to more of those. 
Absolutely. Well, talking of track-focused vehicles, Alan, where were you Sunday morning? Uh, I was the same place as you, Andrew. Oh, yes, so you were. Oh, wait, sorry, you wanted something a bit more. <laughs> we, we were in McDonald's. Yes, we were. We were in Speak. We were. In Speak on the outskirts of Liverpool, the home of the Triumph TR7. Well, it was. That plant's since been demolished. Uh, but we weren't. We were at Briggs Automotive Company at the Chronos and Cars. Yeah, at the Chronos and Cars um, event. That's the word I was looking for uh, on Sunday morning. And we had a bit of a, we got a bit of a show around the factory. We had a bit of a nose around the factory uh, and a bit of an introduction uh, from one of the Briggs brothers to what it's all about, really, and what the mono is all all about, the BEC mono. Yeah, how it came to be, what the why they created the company, what their ethos is behind it, or sort of the the DNA of it, what what they feel is the reason for it being, which was interesting to hear actually, because he was very keen to he was he was very pleased, and so I think rightly that the fact they've distilled the essence of i don't want to say the ultimate driving car but it's that's what they were aiming for isn't it that they were aiming for the most driver focused vehicle i knew you were going to come up with some tosh like that that you could that was road legal yes. that's and what the road they wanted legal bit's important in there as well they they wanted yeah. it so that it's something you can go and enjoy yourself and then once you've done your little bit uh, be it on track, on a bit of road, then you and all your friends can pull over and stop and have a coffee and a chat and, uh, and you know, compare the notes and then get back in and keep on doing the solo focus bit. So it's not... The idea was that the whole thing is not antisocial. Um, that's what I like. It was likened to snowboarding or skiing or any of these kind of pursuits where you go, you do a bit, uh, and then you always end up sort of stopping and speaking to people uh, and then and then continuing and getting a bit more in there. But when you're in the car, the only thing that matters is the car uh, and the driving yep. of, of that. And I thought it was intriguing. I did. I, I thought to get to the – to be able to take the idea and actually develop it and produce something – well, remember one brother. One of the brothers is uh, is a designer. The yeah. other is an automotive engineer, anyway, by by training, by qualification, by by background. And they didn't actually set out to to start a car company. That's what I thought was quite amusing about this, is that they yeah. actually were starting an automotive design and engineering consultancy. Well, they had that going, and they thought this would be a great, sort of, you know, here's the ultimate business card. Stroke, um, you know, uh, oh, what do you call the designer stuff? Portfolio. All their, um, portfolio, sorry, yes. God, I knew I was going to struggle at some point tonight. We're not doing very well tonight, are we? <laughs> Neither of us. Perfect for the speaking yes. medium, unable to speak. <laughs> but the, this is the ultimate portfolio example because of all the different elements that they've pulled together to create the mono. Yeah. And getting up close was, well, it was privileged feels like a bit of an overused word, 
but I did feel quite privileged to be there and for the, for the for them to all talk to us and answer our questions and let us poke and prod around and have a really good look and there was no oh no you can't have cameras here or anything like that it was it was open everything was open they were very open they were very keen to chat to us if we had any questions at all answer them the best that they could and that was that was amazing could you imagine going into mclaren and doing that uh, not really no so this is, I mean, it was brilliant. I mean, well done, Chami, for yes. well helping, speaking with the brothers at BAC and for them agreeing and saying, yes, this would be a good yeah, idea. Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, mustn't forget to, to, to say thanks on that part. But the, the detail, some of the detail was well, that, That's what got me. Because you know what I'm like? It's, but it's stuff like, you know, you look right down the side of the car and the angle of all the carbon fibre weave and all the completely carbon fibre parts is all aligned. Yeah. Right the way along. There's multiple different pieces. It's all aligned until it all goes into one flat piece in the rear splitter. The What amazed me most, though, was nothing... It wasn't really anything to do with the outside. It was when I looked into the cockpit of a complete one and how nicely finished it was. Because I was expecting it to be like a race car. We've all looked, you know, we've all gone up to single seat race cars and they're all smooth and shiny and everything on the outside. And then you look inside and because it's a race car, you want it to be as light as possible. And there's just nothing. There's, you can see the skeleton on the inside, all the cables and everything like that. And there's no skit or anything. And then I looked into one of the monos and it's it's beautifully finished with contrasting stitching and leather right the way, you know, as, as far as well past your knees. And it's beautifully done. It really is. And it was that attention to detail. Yeah, the attention to detail went to every aspect of the car. Now, what was the chap saying? Normally they come in about £220,000 each, isn't it? Once, once somebody's got there and says right i want it to have this i need it to do that i want it to do the other that's not base price that's what they normally come to roughly with the op- the types of options that people choose and if you get your seat molded which to just bottom, about everybody and, does which of course you do and just the, and the steering wheel molded to your hands and yeah yeah and then and then the engineers help develop the the suspension and chassis setup to what you want it to do, mm-hmm. whether that's be good on the road or you have a particular track in mind and you, and you know, that favors a, a certain setup, they will do that all for you and the gearing and all these other, the bespokeness of it, because it, it, it is a bespoke product yeah. at the end of the day. Cause when people are paying, spending that amount of money, then it is, it does become bespoke because they ask for certain bits to make theirs be theirs. If you want a colour or a livery, they'll do it. Oh, there was some lovely. Oh, the gold leaf one. So we've what we've done is we'll link oh. to Peter Taylor's Flickr album. He's taking some lovely photographs. Which he linked to. He has taken some stunning, some absolutely stunning photographs, just to give you a flavour. Now, with all respect to Peter, they're still just photos, and they're not as cool as actually seeing it there and and close up. Yeah. Uh, but they hopefully will give you a bit of a taste, a better taste than I think I've seen before, other than with my own eyes, of just what's, just what happens, the detail, the level of finish was was cracking. And, you know, they're not... 
Oh, how long did we spend looking at welds and powder coating? Oh, just and beautifully done. How that all was so lovely finished. I mean, there's, he, Peter's got a, uh, a picture of um, a cockpit, which sort of gives an example of what you were talking about mm-hmm. before, showing the suede and the stitching and things. And they've, you know, BAC have developed uh, carbon fiber wheels that are in the shape of their logo and things as well. And I mean, the, the stuff that BAC have done to keep pushing their product, because they were said that the chap who was taking us around, who was, was he a body specialist? He was a body specialist. So he was one of, so he, yeah. he and, and a small team uh, deal with the, the bodywork and making sure that it's, First of all, making sure that when the bits of carbon arrive, then, then there are no flaws in them. And the next is then just making sure everything lines up, that shut lines are consistent, that all this, all these kind of things, it's, that it all just fits properly together. Mm. In a way, I mean, it, and the shut lines were fantastic, really. I mean, they're not... Oh, yeah. They were a feature. Well, they were. They're such, well, there's so much, there's so little else on the outside of the car, really that the body line has to line up or it just looks key. Yeah, every aspect of that car, I got the feeling, was deliberately there and had been carefully thought through. So whether it's the angle of the lines going for the front boot, (laughs) the massive one. (laughs) Oh, it holds holds your helmet, it holds the steering wheel, and yeah, that's kind of some other stuff if you can jam it in, yeah. But there was the placement of the aerodynamic wings in the in between the wheels mm-hmm. that was done in such a manner that meant it was pedestrian safe yeah. as well, which is no mean feat as we all know. And if you didn't, if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't have seen them. No, well, he was saying many people never paid them any attention at all until they came to collect the car. And went, well, what do those do? I've never noticed those before. So he was saying they're one of his favourite bits on the whole car. He says they're just the nicest things, and they're all hidden away. We don't get nobody gets to see them. I suppose we should give some stats, really, shouldn't we? Yeah. The car itself weighs five hundred and eighty kilos. Theoretical maximum speed is one hundred and seventy miles an hour in a zero to sixty of two point eight seconds from a two point four four cylinder mountain tweaked Ford based engine. I'm not going to say it's a Ford engine. It's Ford-based, which is completely built from components to BAC's specification. And generally yep. has been built and unbuilt about twice before somebody collects their car, at least uh, before somebody collects a car. Uh, just ridiculous. There's all sorts of stuff. The kit you get with it includes a quick-lift jack and a remote battery charging socket and... I just I don't even know where to go from the from the list here to be honest. Most of it I don't really understand. <laughs> it was just the 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 detail uh, in there was was what really really got me and just how compact it is. Yes, I feel I'm waffling terribly and can't. I I, I am not doing this justice. Just want to say that. No, I I feel that I too am struggling to pass on the the, the superbness of this. Of this vehicle, it, it. I mean, there's a reason it's. See, one. now you've just gone it too was, far the other way. <laughs> no, but there was a reason it's. It was Wired's, the car you must own. You know the things well, you must own before you die. Yeah, type thing. Hun- 
because this is what they were telling us at the start and how they were how they were proud of what they've achieved that other people have seen this as well so it's got wired's award for the car you must own before you die um it was what else was it well, we got this, a stig award from from top gear oh it's the only car to ever win the stig award yeah. uh and things like this so they they feel validated and obviously clearly proud in that but, but the other thing is it's not just it's, slash in the pan either i mean numbers they're over 100 in the build numbers anyway yes. numbers and they they've had to up production to 3 a month yeah. And that's because of orders, not because they're speculatively building these things. They are building to order. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so constant. They've, they've expanded too. as well. Um, yeah, they, they've expanded in terms of um, factory space. They've opened a new showroom in New York very recently, which they're very happy about. Um, so you know, it just seems to be going for strength to strength, and it goes to show that. Small doesn't necessarily can be successful. Small and focus can be successful from a business point of view in the motoring industry. Yes, even if you're based in the northwest. Oh, steady. D- despite steady. being based in the northwest, you didn't see any flat caps or whippets when you. No, came but I did it. see a. As I say, I did see a Maestro uh, Maestro Panda car. I feel the motoring podcast needs to visit BAC again to help really get them to help tell their story to so the listeners can understand what a special place this is. I think that would be a very good idea. The more the longer we spend on this, the more of an idea I think that that should be. <laughs> and given it is maybe only half an hour from from windscreen towers, I think that maybe we should ask some friends to see if we could get in touch and go back and, and try not to and, and try and get get them to tell the story. It just wasn't. We had we had it in our minds to do that on Sunday morning, but there were just too many people and too much stuff going on for that to be realistic. I think. Yeah. So thanks once again to BAC for having us there. Thanks once again to Shami for organising an event, not only at BAC but north of the Watford Gap. You, you can you can do it, Shami. You can keep coming north. It's all right. We're not horrible, are we? I don't know. He had a nose. He had a nosebleed. He was that far north. <laughs> he was trying to disguise it well, but he was he was twitching a bit. Yeah. So hopefully there'll be more events. But if you are at all thinking about going to a Cronus and Car event, I thoroughly recommend them. Keep your eye on their Twitter account, which I'll have a link in the show note for. And because they announce when they have new stuff on the way. And I know this summer he's working on some really special mm-hmm. stuff, uh, which would be superb. Uh, if he can pull it off, if the if if the timings work for everybody involved, will be utterly superb. So do keep an eye on that because there'll be... I know now I am not going to be able to make those and I am deeply sad. Right, let's move on to list of the week then. Yes. And this the time the list of the week is the uk car of the year 2019 now normally we don't do a car of the year awards because unless we've given him dinner well yes normally (laughs) there's a there's a few that we do mention and why we're mentioning mentioning this one is because it's the independent motoring awards for the uk and they have a really large set of judges 
who are from a wide variety of outlets and publications. So this is the fairest awards there are out there. There's the most neutral awards there are out there. Um, They include a couple of former Rearview guests as well. So it must be special. (laughs) It must be special. But I'm going to quickly run through these. So best super mini is the Volkswagen Polo. Now, Volkswagen Polo has won so many awards. We really need to get... You know when you were saying about the the Fiesta? You you tried the Fiesta because why does everyone buy it? Well, I think the Polo needs to be tried because everyone is saying it's the best Super Mini. So congratulations to Volkswagen on that. The best small hatch, which is an interesting choice, is the Volvo XC40. Right. Okay. Uh, Best family is the Skoda Karok. Mm -hmm. Best executive is the Jaguar I-Pace. The best luxury is the Rolls-Royce Cullinan. Mm, Okay. Best estate is the Volvo V60. Okay. The best 4x4, Suzuki Jimny. Well done, Suzuki. (laughs) The best MPV is the Peugeot Rifter. That's another one that we are keen to have a little look at and poke and prod at at the Motoring Podcast. They're all busy at the minute. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, the best coupe is the Bentley Continental GT, which I think looks really nice in its latest iteration. Did you not just say that last week? No, I was saying it to oh, you right. privately. We're so unused to actually speaking to each other outside of this. Yes, it all gets confusing. <laughs> yes. Blame that was it, but one. you did say it five I'm... or six times. That's why it's in my mind. Yes. No, because one drove past me and I was like, and it made me look at it. And I mean, that's why I thought, mm. you know, if you do that, then fair enough. Best, best Cabernet is the, and um, brace yourselves. Well, no, it's okay. I'm saying it, so you don't have to drink. The Mazda MX-5 2-litre. Yep. The best hot hatch is the sliced bread Ford Fiesta ST. Surprise! And the best performance is the Alpine A110. A110, yes. So just coming, bringing that in, because I know that you don't like it and therefore can't even be bothered to pronounce the name properly, which is brilliant. It looks it's a, it's a great listing, really, and and kind of how you would hope it would be. It's worth quickly mentioning European Car of the Year. Well, no, 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 we haven't mentioned the overall winner. Oh no, we haven't. The overall winner of the trophy that contains four pistons, yeah. Yes. Well, when I looked at that, I thought, here are the heads of your vanquished <laughs> foes. It's a, it is a... <laughs> yes. Well done to the eye piece. Yes, but as you were saying, though, double congratulations. Because as of yesterday, yes, in a tight, tightly fought competition. Tight. It's the first time ever in European Car of the Year history that two vehicles have tied with the number of points for the top spot. And it had to go down to how many people had put, had put each one as first on, their, uh, on their, their voting slips. But yes, the I-Pace one. Just over the Alpine A110. Which, yep. if it had won, would only have been the second sports car to have ever won. Yeah, performance car uh, to have ever won, to have won European Car of the Year, following on from the Porsche 928 in 1978, I think. Mm. Year I was born. Yeah. So, well done to everybody at Jaguar. Some good news at last for them, mm-hmm. thankfully. And it goes to show that the the effort they went to and the risk they took, not that it it was a necessary risk, but the risk they took in a departure from 
typical Jaguar to make an electric vehicle seems to have paid off with people. It's it's paying off with the public because they're selling them, but it's paying off with the journalists as well because they mm. are continuing to say this is a cracking vehicle. And not just from the UK either. No, exactly. Which is an important distinction yes, to make there. Let's hammer that one home. <laughs> but so, yeah, well done, Jag. Yeah. Did you see the only other... Um... The only, the only press release that I noticed from Jaguar this week. No. No, you can now get a new, more secure, protected version of the Range Rover. They've upped the protection oh, levels yes. on the armoured version. I believe it's called uh, Prince Philip spec. <laughs> Is it like one of those uh, from Robot Wars where it flips itself? It's <laughs> a flipper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just appeared in my email and it involved words like security and armoring so i was like "Ooh, that looks fun well perfect for you ram corby <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> well you were taking the mech out of the northwest well Come on, let's move on to the and finally so and finally uh for those of us who who do tend to perform who have ended up in the past performing slightly bodgy uh repairs using zip ties uh and duct tape it's worth mentioning that ross lowell uh the chap who who invented it uh, uh, as gaffer tape, sadly died the other week. He he was a really interesting guy. Mm. Not just from that point of view, not, not just for inventing gaffer tape. It's one of only a small number of things that, that he invented and that he, uh, that he tweaked for film and TV. Yep. So, it's well worth reading up on his Wikipedia page because, yeah, everything from the quick clamp mount to many different types of lighting, and the whole idea was that it, it was it was heat resistant, it was sticky, and when you peeled it off, it didn't leave anything behind, uh, even if you'd left it for quite a while. Well, I'll have I'll have his Wikipedia page linked to in the show notes, as ever. Because he, he was the guy that literally wrote the book on, on stage lighting as well. Yeah, and Mark Juan Mondeo drivers must be raising a glass to him. Well, exactly. Exactly. That's about it, I think. Yeah, Parish Notes. There was a special edition last week, if you are interested at all. In fact, even if you're not interested in the Isuzu D-Max 8035 from Arctic Trucks, then, it's, then that is out so do please uh go have a listen if you want to listen to me being happy and surprised and happy and happy and surprised but happy then that's the episode for you it really is it's quite freaky to be honest it is <laughs> do it's actually a, the, and thank you to the people who've been saying nice things about it um, and also thank you to the people who've been saying nice things to us about what we do as well. It seems we're very good at masking the grunching noises from from large citrons as they cross Europe as well. So I'm, I'm told. I was told this morning. <laughs> what else? Be a new rear view out this week. Yes. Cool. And last but not least, as that appears, I shall be heading towards Geneva. Uh, we've seen all the coverage today. Uh, we will see probably a bit more coverage tomorrow from the foot weary and tired before the public day start at the end of the week. If there's anything specific you want me to go have a look at, uh, you want my opinions on, then do please let me know via all of the usual mediums. 
which brings us to the end, really, for this week. It does. Don't forget between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Don't forget about our Patreon, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. Please, please leave reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, with this tidal wave of questions and inquiry routes, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, Twitter, as always, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.